I'm Pastor Michael Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. I'd like to welcome you and to thank you for listening to our Sunday morning sermons. I hope that they're a blessing to you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. When I was in high school, I liked to play pranks on my sister. Uh, I also, even before high school, was really, really, really into end times theology. You know, the, the, the official term for that would be eschatology. Uh, and I read whatever I could get my hands on. And I got my hands on quite a bit, but the problem with, they were mostly terrible. And there's a lot of end times theology out there and a lot of eschatology uh, writings uh, by popular figures, and a lot of it is largely terrible. Usually my rule of thumb is, is if you can find it, I should be careful. <laughs> if it's a Christian bestseller on the end times, it's probably not going to be very good. Um, but I was really into end times. And um, I should also note that end times theology and, and eschatology, it can be scary. There's some really intense imagery in scripture about what's going to happen at the end of the world, you know, especially for teenagers. And my, and my sister was a few years younger than me. And one day, it was like, it, it was a perfect, it was one night actually, my love of eschatology and the love of pranking my sister converged together. And so when we read scripture, there's language that before the day of the Lord, right, which is the return of Christ, the moon will become red like blood. So one night after dinner, I was taking out the garbage, and uh, I looked up at the moon, and it was like a darkish orange-red color, as the moon does do sometimes, and I knew immediately what I needed to do. I put the garbage in the cans, of course, and then I worked myself up a little bit, before running inside the house, pretending to be breathless. My sister was in the kitchen along with my mom doing the dishes, and I ran straight up to them, pretending to be frazzled and, and struggling for breath. And so my sister, her name was Linda, so I said, Linda, you're not, you're not gonna believe this. And she, she looked at me quizzically. I'm like, you're not gonna believe this. It's the moon. It's the moon. <laughs> she said, what about the moon? And I said, Linda, the moon, it's red. It's red like blood. The moon is red. And I saw the fear begin to fill her eyes. And she shook her head as I repeated it again. And, and she let out a no and ran outside. Upon which, when she came back in, she found me laughing hysterically. Needless to say, she was very angry. <laughs> And uh, I may have gotten a stern lecture from my mother as well about, about bothering my sister. And I, I, say, I tell this story because my sister's reaction shows possibly a bit of unpreparedness that we all have sometimes for the coming of our Lord. And the parable that we heard read today conjures up images of a couple of things. And so we're going to, to spend our time in, with the parable of the foolish and the wise virgins from Matthew 25, 1 through 13. And this parable is pretty straightforward in its telling. There's a wedding party, which is a big deal. The ten virgins are waiting for the arrival of the groom so the wedding feast could begin. 
right? Commentators note that the usual Jewish custom at the time was for the friends of the bridegroom to conduct the bride to her husband's home. And when the procession arrived, the bridegroom went forth to lead the bride across the threshold. But here's something a little bit different. The groom is coming to meet the bride. Or he has the bride with him and he's bringing her to, to the home. The ten virgins know that the bridegroom is coming at night. So they prepare by having their lamps filled with oil. But only half of them think to bring extra oil because they realize, hey, we actually might need extra oil. If the bridegroom's coming at night and we're not quite sure when he's going to arrive, maybe we should be prepared and have a little bit extra with us just to be on the safe side, just to make sure. And delay, the groom does. Now, I've been to some weddings. I've been to a few that, that started a little bit later than advertised, and I think that's usually normal for weddings. They always start a little bit late, but the bridegroom here arrives super, super late. We know this because it says that they all fell asleep and they were only awoken when they were roused by the cry that the bridegroom was on the way. So they frantically begin to, to light their lamps, but half of them did not have enough oil because they did not prepare. And they don't have enough to share, so the five who did not prepare run to try to buy some oil. But they return to find everyone, those who are ready, have already gone inside and the door is shut to them. They knock and knock and ask to be let into the wedding feast. But the Lord of the feast does not let them in because he does not know them. And they remain locked outside from the feasting and from the rejoicing. Not very inclusive. The five virgins who are prepared for the coming of the groom are called wise. And the five that were not prepared are called foolish. Strong words. So when we hear this story, we have some very strong reactions. And I think one initial reaction could be, that's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair. Why didn't the others share their oil? They should have shared their oil. When the door was shut in their faces, why didn't they just explain to the person? Why didn't the person at the door not let them in after hearing what they had to say and saying, you know, that's a legitimate reason for me to, to open the door for you since it's been shut. That doesn't sound fair to us that somebody would be excluded from the wedding feast. And the others don't share because their lamps would have gone out also and there would have been no one to greet the groom and no way to guide the groom towards the feast where everyone was waiting. And we also have to understand that others' lack of preparedness isn't the responsibility of somebody else. And in this day of age, we throw around words like equity. This idea doesn't go over very well. Let's break down how some of the features of this story play out here, or some of the imagery. So when we see the story, we have the imagery of the virgins, and they are friends of the bride, like the representative as a whole, all ten of them as friends of the bride. But then we see in the story they get divided up into fives, right? You have the five foolish, and you have the five wise. And St. Augustine does something interesting here. He sees this as being representative of the five senses, 
And so he likens the five wise virgins to those who abstain from unlawful seeing, unlawful hearing, unlawful smelling, unlawful tasting, and unlawful touching, which, means, which highlights that they are wise, while the five who are not wise would be those who would not abstain from unlawful seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. But the virgins in this story, they also represent the church, particularly the five ones that were prepared in that they have abstained from sin. They have abstained from what is unlawful and they have kept themselves pure at the coming of the bridegroom. And if the virgins represent the church, then what do the lambs represent? St. Augustine believes that the lambs represent the heart. So if the lamp is the heart, then what does it mean for them to have oil? And he says it represents love. He says this, this is charity, which is with good reason signified by the oil, for oil swims above all liquids. Pour in water and pour oil upon it, and the oil will swim above. If love is what fills the heart, then then this would also mean that good works flowing from that heart could also be the purpose of having the heart full. And I don't disagree with St. Augustine here. Far be it for me to disagree with the great doctor of the church. But I also see the oil as a picture of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit. And we see this in the Old Testament too, the imagery of people being anointed uh, with oil. And as Christians, we ourselves are sealed with the Holy Spirit upon our baptism. We are given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our own resurrection. We are given the Spirit because it marks us as belonging to Christ. That the Spirit of God dwells in us. And like the story shows, some of the oil burns out, but the wise keep their hearts brimming with oil, prepared beforehand, so the lamps will not go out. The others leave to buy more oil, but that oil, Augustine says, is works done to please human spectators and not good works in service towards God. So let's talk a little bit about being foolish and being wise. So it's interesting, we heard read from the book of wisdom that wisdom is easily found. That wisdom will be shown to those who desire it. That wisdom will come to those who are vigilant for it. And it's interesting, right, that St. That Paul says in his epistles that Jesus, I think in 1 Corinthians, that Jesus is the wisdom of God. That Jesus is the wisdom of God. And in the story here that we heard read in the parable, the bridegroom is Christ. And we would see that as Christ returning in glory. And those who are wise, those who have found wisdom, those who have been vigilant for wisdom will see wisdom when it arrives. So those who are wise are those who are prepared for the day of our Lord, for the return of our Lord. We even heard it mentioned in the hymn, The Return of Our Lord, this morning. Those who are wise are ready for the bridegroom to come back. And that means having our hearts, our lamps, filled with oil. That means having our hearts expressing the love of God through good works. That means having our hearts filled with the oil of the Spirit, expressed through loving one another. It means that we are 
living lives as Christians, staying free from sin, keeping ourselves pure from the things that would pollute us, ready for the appearing of the Lord. Because the foolish ones are those who have not sought after wisdom. The foolish are those who don't desire to know wisdom, who are not vigilant for wisdom, who think that trying to find wisdom, it's just a waste of time and live for themselves. They are not prepared. They do not have good works flowing from a heart full of love. They do not show the love of God to their brothers and sisters in Christ. They are those who don't keep themselves free from sin, who continue to sin over and over and over again, not living lives pleasing to the Lord. And as a result, they are not prepared for the coming of the Lord. They are not prepared for the bridegroom's arrival at the wedding feast. And as such, at the last day, they will run around with their heads, like the chicken with his head cut off, but they will be barred from the feast. They will not be allowed in to the wedding feast. It's heavy stuff. And we see the coming of the groom to the wedding feast in the book of Matthew. We see this talked about in our reading from Thessalonians. Where it says the trumpet's going to sound and Christ will descend and the dead in Christ will come with him. And those of us who are not dead, who are alive and remain on the earth, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And it says together we will be with the Lord. Now, we must understand this, brothers and sisters, that this is not a reference to the rapture. It's not a reference to the rapture, okay? The rapture is... Nowhere to be found in Christian history. It was invented in the late 1800s. The rapture is not in Scripture. This is not talking about God is going to whisk everybody up to heaven, wait a bunch of time, then come back down and take some more. It's not what this text is talking about. There's only one return of Christ. And when Christ returns, he will return in glory with those who have died in him, and those of us who are in him who remain on the earth will be caught up together with him. Now, what's interesting about this text is St. John Chrysostom notes, he likens this to a, a king coming into a city that he's just conquered. And this is important because that's what would happen in the ancient world. The city, if a conquering king came, they would throw open the gates and they would allow that king to come in. And that king, who would that king bring with him? He would bring with him all of the people who were on his side, right? His military, his army, and all of that stuff. And he would also you know, bring the prisoners that he had taken in battle, right? So you have this imagery being used to describe the, returning, uh, the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As, he, as the gates of the city are opened to him, he returns, right? And we know that he descends so everything can become one, right? We are either going to descend with Christ if we have died, or we will ascend to meet him in the air as heaven descends and as heaven and earth are joined together as Christ takes his place as the bridegroom, as he takes his place as the master of the wedding feast. And we get a taste, a foretaste of the wedding feast to come when we partake in the Holy Eucharist. We are taking part even now in the wedding feast in the age to come. 
but Christ. We must be prepared for his return. We must be watchful for his return. Not trying to figure out what's happening in newspapers and what's happening and, and trying to apply weird prophecy to this situation and that situation. And my, my pro- this, I heard this prophecy and I read it in this book that Jesus is going to come when all this stuff happens in the Middle East. No, stop. Just stop. That we, we're not ready for the coming of the Lord that way. We are ready for the coming of the Lord by doing the work that the Lord told us to do. We prepare for the gr- bridegroom by setting the table for the feast, by inviting people to the feast, by bringing them into the feast, so that when the bridegroom finally comes to take his place as head of the feast, as master of the feast, that we, the doors will not be shut in their faces. Because, brothers and sisters, the door will be shut. And those who are left outside of the feast, there will be nothing for them but weeping, and gnashing of teeth. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the bridegroom and master of the wedding feast, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. This is Pastor Mike Lansman, and if you have any questions about anything you heard or would like some more information about our church, feel free to email me, malansman at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC, or our website, zionstoneucc.com. We have a GoFundMe set up as well for some repairs that we need, gofundme.com slash UCC. As we continue to navigate the fallout from the coronavirus, I'd like to thank everyone for their continued generosity. It always amazes me how generous you've been. And I pray that the blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be with you and would keep you.